Welcome to Trinity Western's Chapel Podcast, a space to listen to and respond to God's invitation to worship and mission. Every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 11 a.m., all members of the Trinity community are invited to join us for a moment of worship and a short word from our university chaplain and director of student ministries, Reverend Dr. James Ellis III. Throughout the semester, you'll also have opportunities to hear from special guests in our local community and abroad. As a vibrant part of campus life, our chapel gathering at Trinity Western creates opportunities for us to hear and be changed by God's story in Jesus through music, teaching, prayer, scripture reading, and storytelling. We're glad you're listening in today. We hope that you encounter God's heart for you and the world. This is the word of God from Job chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Another day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present himself before him. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil, and he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Verse 4, skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all he has for his own life, but now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. Verse 7, so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all of this, Job did not sin in what he said. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Job just cannot get a break. As if losing his 10 children and enormous wealth aren't enough, here comes another doozy of a problem. It's, it's basically a duplicate of what we saw play out in Job chapter 1, verse 6, which of course is where his agony began. Uninvited as usual, Satan crashes the angels' rendezvous to present themselves to the Lord. Since instigating havoc earlier, he's been roving around the earth, you know, doing his regular Satan-type stuff, looking to cause chaos and calamity and death. 
But then, almost as if to avail Satan of boredom, giving him something and someone to focus on, God brings Job into the picture again. In verse 3, he reminds Satan, Job still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. While, While stating the obvious, I mean, he's kind of, God is kind of sticking it to Satan uh, just a little bit, like, like how you like them apples, Satan. And simultaneously, God also acknowledges that the, the pain Satan has caused, God himself actually allowed. Remember, in chapter 1, God volunteered Satan for the task, and then God gave Satan permission to go after him. Even so, God, Yahweh, he doesn't delight in Job's suffering. Though Satan does have some earthly power and we have free will to make godly or ungodly choices, the Lord alone determines what to permit and what to restrict. Unsurprisingly, I guess, but disrespectful still, in a way that isn't advisable to ever talk to God, Satan responds with irritation in an elevated tone. He says, skin for skin, a man will give all that he has for his own life. But now, this is him talking to God, you stretch out your hand, you strike his flesh and bones, and he, speaking of Job, will surely curse you to your face. Ever the sore loser, who will lose again when Christ one day returns to judge the living and the dead and once for all crush the head of Satan, at this point, maybe in an exacerbated last-ditch effort to save face, he is convinced that this new plan is going to be a sure thing. As far as he's concerned, losing property and people are one thing, but losing health is the fulcrum that is needed to prove his point. It's then that Job will finally curse God to his face. And to be clear, on the table is not that Job will groan or that he will sob a little bit, you know, quietly hiding beneath his bed sheets, mumbling underneath his breath. No, no, no. Satan's bet is that Job will grow so angered by loss and injustice that he will challenge God, mano y mano, face to face, even to go so far as to hurl obscenities at the Creator. Before using the, the same words years later in Taken 3, early on in the first Taken movie, Liam Nielsen's main character gives one of the bad guy Albanian sex traffickers, a whole speech about how he has a very particular set of skills that make him a nightmare for people like him. He issues an ultimatum as they have just abducted his daughter, these uh, bad guy Albanian sex traffickers. And so he's hoping that this intervention will cause them to reverse course and release her. The... One bad guy, Albanian sex trafficker, who is on the other end of the phone, listens to uh, Liam's, you know, sort of intervention, and he, he pauses for great cinematic effect. And then, very matter-of-factly, he responds by saying, good luck. Good luck. That could have been 
the Lord's response to Satan also. The Lord could have said, good luck. However, God knows how this story is going to end. So instead, he gets down to brass tacks and he says, very well then. Speaking of Job, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. From there, Satan besets Job with excruciating sores from head to toe, which leaves him crestfallen, understandably so. He's trying to manage a quick smidgen of respite by scraping himself with a piece of broken pottery. Now, if, if chicken pox, an allergic reaction, severe eczema, or psoriasis come to mind for you, try again. As best as we can tell, the picture here is much, much worse. Think along the lines of Staphylococcus or staph infection. Job is, is in bad, bad shape. That is very clear. And not only that, the, the, the man, as, as one commentator has put it, is sitting on the, the council incinerator and, and rubbish dump, which just means the trash heap outside of the city, someplace only the unclean, only the unwanted would roam, lonely, dirty, vulnerable, and despondent. This would have been a sort of rest stop for lepers and beggars. Job is in severe pain, not, not mere discomfort, and without a shopper's or London pharmacy around, relief is not on the way from a morphine or Percocet prescription. Job is swallowing his pain straight. No chaser. What fascinates me most, however, about this scripture is the exchange between Job and his wife. Now, I have no desire to dump on this unnamed woman, so let me state that right now. But you'll be disappointed if you think that for the purposes of political correctness, I'm somehow going to gloss over the critical part that she plays in this story. I have just three points to make, and then we can all go on our merry way. Scholar Christopher Ash characterizes Job's reply to his wife as a model of faith under trial. Her words, however, are something quite different. She's had enough. She'd rather him renounce piety, tell God to essentially kick rocks, and then just go on ahead and kick the bucket himself to just be over with it, to die, and finally put himself out of his misery. But you got to love Job. In verse 9, he responds by declaring, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept uh, good from God and not trouble? His retort is short, it's sweet, it's to the point, and you notice, I hope, how he does not mince words. Y'all got to understand, I like Job. The statement you are talking like a foolish woman, represents a call to remembrance. As if Job wants to jog her memory, telling her that she is better than this, that, that she knows better. 
Therefore, he says that she's talking like a foolish woman rather than straight up calling her foolish. Then he lifts up an, an object lesson on spiritual immaturity or folly by asking, shall we accept good from God and, and not trouble? Job is arguing that times of health and fun and abundance simply cannot last always, and they're not obligatory gifts from God to begin with. Why should he and his family or he himself be an exception to the certain struggles applicable to every other human being? How Job replies to his wife is, is how we should respond, how we should react whenever someone urges us to sin, and especially if the culprit is a fellow believer. He, he does get personal, Job does, but only because he knows his wife intimately, and he wishes that she'd come to her senses about who God truly is and, and how they, in turn, should respond to these very, very tough times. Job replaces lies with truth and goes about his business with, with his exchange in mind between he and his wife, Listen to, to these anonymous words of wisdom. Wrong is wrong, and there ain't no right way to do wrong. Wrong is wrong, and there ain't no right way to do wrong. So what that grammarly might take issue with the informal English? The substance is rock solid. A second consideration I would lift up is, is this. At some point, odds are that those closest to you will behave like Job's wife. It comes with the human condition because we are fundamentally flawed. Selfishness and pessimism, pessimism unbelief, all, all have a way of ruthlessly fighting to rule our heart and mind, so we're bound to, in frustration, say the manner of things that Job's wife said, which are untrue, which are unkind, which are acceptable, unacceptable rather. One cautionary tale here is to choose carefully who and what you allow into your inner circle. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33 contains... Uh, some guidance here. It, it tells us, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. All I'm saying is that if you find yourself around those who habitually offer the kind of advice Job's wife offered, you have an important decision to make. You can stay and become like them, or you can throw them the deuces, and you can leave, and you can find others who are capable of more steadily demonstrating godly values. Now, of course, my one caveat here is that given that marriage is a covenant and not a contract influenced by some kind of funky matchmaking algorithm, it's inappropriate for a Christian to treat their marriage in the same kind of way. 
should their spouse, you know, of course, regularly give this kind of wicked counsel, which we hope they don't. Uh, if that's the case, you, you just kind of need to investigate other means of addressing the issue. But for friendships and, and all these other kinds of interactions, once people show you who they are, stop trying to play Captain Save Somebody and let them go if they are fine with embracing a life that rebels against God rather than one that submits to him. That's, that's all I'm trying to say. Last but not least, let's, let's look at Job's wife. If you skim the entirety of the book of Job, you'd find that this is the only mention of her throughout, and she's in no other book of the Bible. The only details of any kind are found in verses 9 through 10. So we have, to be totally honest, two verses probably don't do justice in capturing the full picture of someone's life. What Job's wife said to him is awful. That's, that's very clear. This is an example of what not to do. She and her husband have lost everything, even their 10 children. They have been relocated from the lap of luxury to the, the bottom floor of socioeconomic depravity, but Job is not giving up. He laments all over all that has transpired, which is appropriate to do. His heart is broken, but he still will not curse God. Instead, he worships God. And yet by this time, with boils covering his body, he's, he's tired. Job is dirty. Job is in pain. He's sitting in the city dump, perplexed and trying to keep his sandy. When his better half comes along, the sister doesn't say, Honey, I, I know this, this loss is tough on both of us, but I'm, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you for not forsaking God. I'm proud of you for staying the course. I believe in you. And I, too, trust God with our lives. <clears throat> That's not what the sister said. The text doesn't say that she arrives bearing ointment and some towels with a, with a plan to clean her husband's wounds. Uh-uh. No kiss no hug, no comfort, no truth. She says, get this, that she would rather him curse God and die despite the fact that this would make her a widow, a widow in an era when a female widow would be amazingly vulnerable. She, she would rather him do that and that be her lot in life to be a widow than for him to continue displaying integrity in the midst of suffering. Nonetheless, as bad of a moment this is for Job's wife, and it's, just being honest, it's pretty bad, y'all. My parting point is that it is just that, one bad moment. And the reality is, you too will have some bad moments. We all have momentary lapses when we're far from our best selves. So given what any given text both says and is silent about, it would be uncharitable and it would be downright wrong for us to arbitrarily fill in the blanks about someone's character, Job's wife in this case. It's, it's probably very enticing for us to do just that because Job is so remarkably upright 
We struggle comprehending why his wife would tear him down. But everybody responds to trauma differently in ways that are exclusive to their triggers and their choices and their background. When life goes awry, one person goes to counseling. Another person goes to sipping on a mug of lean, promethazine and codeine, codeine mixed with soda. At the first hint of trouble, one person solicits intercessory prayer and the ongoing support of a beloved church community. Someone else hits the after-hours joint to, albeit fleetingly, dance and drink their cares away or lock their feelings away in a vault for what they hope will be forever but never is. Others lash out at those who are closest to them. The, the point is just that life is not like an episode of Teen Titans or Blackish or Highway Patrol, or Food Network's Beat Bobby Flay, where the, by the show's end, most everything is resolved with comedic equity. So, so making excuses for the behavior of Job's wife, that's, that's just not going to cut it. We are accountable, first to God, and then others for how we respond to the, the challenges of life. But I invite you to bear in mind that one moment one day, one exchange does not define Job's uh, wife, and it does not define you. You let God define you. May the Lord our God be your anchor in joy and in pain, with you always to the very end of the age. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope to worship with you at our next broadcast online at livechapel.twu.ca. You can also stay connected with Chapel and Student Ministries by following us on Instagram at TWUChapel and at TWUStudentMin. Much love.